Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. So we're busy with a, with a series, um, and, and this is the last um, message in that series on, uh, on being a Christian in the city. And uh, we were doing it from Jeremiah 29, uh, and uh, it's the story of, of how Israel get taken into captivity in Babylon, from Jerusalem to Babylon, the big city of, of their era, and, and how God calls them to live faithful to Him in that city. I just want to read you the first two verses of Jeremiah 29. It says, uh, this is the text of the letter that uh, the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Joachim and the Queen Mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. And what we were asking, we're just looking at different aspects of living as Christians in the city, recognizing the reality that um, Living as a Christian in, in the city is often difficult. There are, there are greater opportunities in the cities, but there are also greater difficulties often in, this, in, in, in the city. And um, we were just talking about that. So if you, if you missed those messages, you're welcome to just go to our YouTube or, um, channel, um, Shofar Joburg um, YouTube channel, or to our podcast, and you can download all those messages there. But today I want to um, end off by looking at a specific person, that, that verse 2 where it says about King Joachim and the Queen Mother and the officials, leaders, artisans, skilled workers, and so on being taken away. That happened in 605 before Christ. And one of the guys who were taken into captivity then was a guy called Daniel. And I want to just share with you out of uh, Daniel chapter 1 a little bit about um, Daniel. And I want to talk about him being faithful in the city because Daniel and his friends are an example to us about how to be faithful in the city, faithful to God in a city where it's not always that easy to be faithful to God. So, um, it's, it's quite a, a, a long, I'm going to read actually the whole chapter, but I, it, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful story, a beautiful story, and very instructive to us. I'm, I'm just going to highlight a few things that we can learn from Daniel about being faithful in the city, faithful to God in the city. Now, just think about this for a moment. <clears throat> when Daniel was taken, he was a youth. In other words, he was probably a teenager. Okay? <laughs> if he were in this church, he would have been part of Diavolt's gang. <clears throat> and he'd also play Ultimate Chicken and stuff like that. And he'd be at the youth on Friday evenings <laughs> with the, the Diavolt and them. Um, he, he was a youth. He was a, a, a teenager. He was taken forcefully from Jerusalem, his home. And I, I mean, there's no indication that his parents were with him. So he was probably separated from his parents and taken into captivity into Babylon, a city in a, a faraway city, a scary city in a different country, a different culture, speaking a different language. And in many ways, Daniel chapter 1 is sort of a summary. It summarizes the beginning of Daniel's you know, life in Babylon, but also the end. Because at the end of the chapter, in verse 21, you're going to see, it says that Daniel served in Babylon 
until the first year of King Cyrus. In other words, he served throughout multiple administrations and governments in that city. He served from being a youth to being an old man. I mean, Cyrus started his reign in 539 before Christ. So Daniel was taken in 605 before Christ, and he served until 539. That's 66 years. In other words, there there, there were multiple kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, Cyrus, and they all came and went, but Daniel kept serving in the city. And he arguably made a bigger difference in that city than all of those kings put together. A bigger positive influence in Babylon. Now, how do you do that? How do you live as someone who's who's, who's part of the people of God? How do you live faithfully and fruitfully within the city where God has sent you? Even if you feel you're in exile. (laughs) Because some people come to Joburg and then they feel they're in exile. (laughs) They'd rather be in other places. But if you're here, then it's because God has sent you here. And how do you live like Daniel, faithful to where God has sent you? Um, So let's let's read from from Daniel chapter 1. I'm reading from the, the NIV. It says, In the third year of the reign of Joachim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Joachim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now, all of this was to fulfill prophecy. I mean, already through Moses, God said, listen, Israel, if you're unfaithful to me, you're going to go into exile. Isaiah prophesied that as well, um, and he prophesied, uh, of course, one of the previous kings, I think it was Hezekiah, um, Babylonian officials came uh, to visit Israel, and he, he bragged about the, the treasury that he had and all the, the treasures that he had in his storehouse in order to try and impress the Babylonians because he wanted them as allies against the Assyrians who were threatening Israel. And, and instead of trusting in the Lord, he was trusting in the Babylonians. And Isaiah came to him and said, because you have done this, because you bragged with all your treasures with the Babylonians, all of these treasures will go to the Babylonians and into their treasure house. And, and it was fulfilled exactly like that here in, in Daniel chapter 1. It says, then the king, in verse 3, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief officials, the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, uh, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, uh, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. 
Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the God um, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat, their, treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the God took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So we see this young man, Daniel, with his uh, friends, his four friends being taken, uh, with three friends being taken into captivity um, into Babylon. And we see that Babylon is, is pretty hostile towards the things of God. They take the, the stuff from the temple of God and they put it into the temple of their God. So they have different gods. Um, and the, the very aim of Nebuchadnezzar was to try and not only conquer Israel, but take the leaders of Israel into Babylon and to change them to accept and adopt the culture of Babylon. That was his, his, his aim in, in doing that, in taking those officials. Um, and then the idea was to eventually send them back with that culture, and the culture of Israel would change. The religion of Israel would change. Everything in Israel, the language of Israel would change. And, and partially, interestingly enough, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was successful. Because when we get to the time of Jesus... Guess which language Israel is speaking? Guess which language Jesus is speaking? Not Hebrew, but Aramaic, the language of Babylon. Okay? Which I think God intended. Because it meant that all of the scriptures and all of the laws of God were translated from Hebrew into Aramaic, which was the sort of lingua franca of the time. The, like English is today, Aramaic was in Jesus' day. And then later on it became Greek, of course. Greek became the, 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 the world language. But, but before it, that, it was Aramaic. And, and it, it's amazing to me how God, on the one hand, He's punishing Israel by taking them into captivity, punishing them for their disobedience. But His punishment is also in service of His mission. 
They are taken to be a witness to Babylon and to the Babylonians. And they are taken so that they can learn to translate God's word and God's grace into the languages of this world. You know, and, and, and that's a, a very, imp- I, I don't know, it's just to me, it's, it's amazing. And it's one of the big differences between, um, you know, say Christianity and Islam. You know, Muslims will, will say to you, if you're not lead- reading the Quran in Arabic, you're not really reading the Quran. Because the Quran cannot be translated. The Bible can and should be translated. The gospel should be translated into every language because it's for every language. Um, it's, it's just amazing to me how God uses something that, that we would see as negative, you know, to, to have such amazing positive uh, impact. But we see Daniel and, 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 and the official takes him and he, and he changes their names. And all of their names... Daniel, Ananiah, uh, Mishael, Azariah, all of them are related. They, they have the, either the word God or the word Lord, Yahweh, in their names. And all of their names have something to do with their God, the God of Israel. And, and now they change all of their names, and all of the, the, the changed names have something to do with some of the gods of Babylonia. So you can see that they want to change the very identity. And, and that's one of the challenges that we face when we come to a city. It's so easy for the city to change you instead of you changing the city. It's so easy to adopt the culture and the ways of the city and allow the city to, to determine and to change your identity from a God-centered identity to an idolatrous identity. It's so easy for that to happen. And like Daniel and his friends, we must beware of that. We must beware that we don't change to become like the city, but that we rather are the influencers who change the city to become more like us. You know, it's, it's like um, that old saying, you know, are you going to be a thermometer or a thermostat? A thermometer just measures the temperature and it adjusts uh, to the temperature of its environment. A thermostat determines the temperature of its environment. Okay, so we're not supposed to be thermometers that just, you know, reflect the spiritual temperature of our environment. We're supposed to be thermostats that determine the spiritual temperature of our environments. And that's, that's the challenge that Daniel and his friends face, and that's the challenge that we face. Are you allowing the city to determine your identity, to change you? Are you remaining faithful to God and are you helping to change the city? That's the big challenge. Uh, and, and we can only do that if we're faithful to God. The only way we can influence the city is if we don't become like the city. We must become enough like the city so that the city can understand us. Yes, we must, like Daniel and his friends, accept and adopt the, the language of the city so that we can communicate with the city. But we must never stop being faithful to God. Amen. So, just a few things that Daniel did um, from this passage. Uh, a few very obvious things. And the first thing that Daniel did was Daniel learned. Okay? Daniel learned. We must learn in the city. If you want to have a positive influence in the city, you must be teachable and you must be hungry to learn and to grow. Okay? And, and by all means, you must learn from the city. Daniel and his friends learned 
from the king's officials. They learned the language and the literature of Babylonia. This city has a lot to teach you. Don't say, oh, I'm a Christian. I don't learn from the city because it's worldly wisdom. No, all truth is God's truth. If it's really true, it's God's truth. Okay? And there's a lot of things that we can learn in the city, even from the city. And that we should learn. So, so Christians shouldn't come with, we as Christians shouldn't come with a holier than thou and we are superior and we are better mentality to the city and we're going to teach you and we're going to show you. That's not the Christian mentality at all. Christians like Daniel and his friends should come in humility and say, we also want to learn from you. Yes, there are things we want to teach you, but there are also things that we want to learn from you. Is that a bit of a mind shift for some of you? Is that a bit of a mind shift? Now, I, I do also want to warn, don't learn everything that the city wants to teach you. Okay? <laughs> We've got to say that. Because the, the city also wants to teach you a few wrong things. Okay? And, and we see Daniel and his friends actually, on the one hand, they accept certain things, learn certain things, receive certain things, but other things they reject. One of the things that they sort of grudgingly accept is the changing of their names, but they don't really accept it. Because you'll see that the, it says in the middle of the chapter that their names were changed, you know, from Daniel to Belshazzar, you know, from Azael uh, 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 to, to Abednego and so on. Um, but then later on in the chapter, they use their normal Hebrew names again. Daniel, Azariah, you know, the Hebrew. So they, did, they, they allowed the officials to address them with their Babylonian names, but they addressed one another with their Hebrew names. So they're saying... Yes, fine, call us. I mean, we're slaves, basically. We have to accept certain things. You can call us whatever you want to. We'll accept that. We're not going to be mean and nasty about that. But in our own hearts, we're still Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. We still, our identity is still based on God. We still have our God-centered names. Okay? So, so, so you can see that there's a resistance. I didn't fully receive everything. But then also the food. You might ask, okay, why, um, wh why did Daniel and them, why did they reject the, 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 the meat and, and the, the fine food and the wine? And, and, and all the vegetarians are saying, oh, we know why. We've been saying it all along. It's because vegetables are better. <laughs> right? <laughs> vegetables are good, and you should by all means eat your vegetables. <laughs> but I don't think it was... It was because of, you know, scientific dietary purposes. Um, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why they didn't eat the meat and, the, and drink the wine. Um, but it does tell us they did so in order to not defile themselves. Okay? And, and what typically happened in those days was um, the, 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 the meat and the wine especially, you know, in, um, you know, just normal pagan life, everyday life, you know, when they bride the meat, it was actually a sacrifice. They sacrificed. They didn't have like a bride which was just like a kayer, you know. <laughs> Their brides were sacrifices, and they would sacrifice. They would bride the food, but, but the bride would be a sacrifice to their gods. So the, the meat itself, as it was prepared, was being sacrificed to the gods. And the, the, the wine as well was, was, was sacrificed, and, and you'd pour out portion of the wine to, 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 to the gods. And it seems like Daniel and them were saying, 
And, and of course, you know, in a, in a pagan society, a non-Jewish society, you know, some of the meat would have included pork and, you know, all kinds of other meats that, that Jews couldn't eat. So, so they were saying, not only do we keep our God-centered, you know, God-based names, but we, we're not going to eat this food sacrificed to idols to show that even though we integrate into the culture, start speaking the language of the culture and of the city, we don't accept the religion of the city. We're not going to worship the gods of the city. And, and, and in, in other words, we must learn from the city, but when it comes to worship, we must not learn the ways of the city. We must not learn to worship the gods of the city. We must remain faithful to our God, the God of the Bible. Um, then the second thing, firstly, we must learn. If we want to um, be faithful to God in the city and ben benefit the city for God, we must learn in the city. But the second thing that Daniel and his friends did was they, re they resolved. It says they resolved not to defile themselves. Now, it's not enough to learn the right things, to grow in knowledge, to grow in understanding, to grow in wisdom. That's all good and well, but that's not enough. You have to put into practice the things that you learn. You have to put into practice the ways of God. You have to, and, and in, in, a, in a context, in a city where there's pressure to go along with the flow of the culture and of the city, it takes resolve to do that, to swim upstream in certain areas. To say, yes, we'll go along in the areas that God wants us to go along in, we're going to learn the language and so on, but we're going to swim upstream when it comes to worship and the ways of God. It takes resolve to do that. In other words, if you want to be faithful in the city, faithful to God in the city, you need to develop resolve. In other words, ability to make commitments and keep commitments. That's important. In fact, that's not just, and, and I want to make this clear, because sometimes in our heads, we, we make a distinction between our spiritual religious lives on the one hand and our normal lives on the other hand, and the Bible makes no such distinction. Resolve is important for all of your life. Okay? If you have resolve, yes, you'll be a better Christian. You'll, you'll be more committed to God because you resolve to serve Him more faithfully. But you'll also be a better parent or sibling or child you'll also be a better employee or employer because you'll have the ability to make and keep commitments and and not only did daniel and his friends resolve but they resolved to do the right things they resolved to keep the most important things the most important things they resolved to commit themselves to God, first and foremost, in a city that was not committed to God. They committed themselves to swim upstream. And I just want to give you a little illustration, and, and I'm sure all of you, or most of you at least, have seen this illustration. You know, so often we make the mistake of not putting first things first. You know, if, if, if this container represents our life, sometimes we'll, we'll take handfuls of small things represented by these stones and we'll we'll chuck them into our lives they they not insignificant but they're not not the most important things they they sort of 
less important things. They sort of, um, you know, things that, that, that are there, but that, that you, come on, help me quickly, <laughs> Leanne. Can you pour that in there? But, but, they, but we put them into our lives first. And, and that's often a mistake. Because often we put those things in, and once we put those things into our lives, then we want to come with the more important stuff. You know, the bigger things. And we want to put, put them in. Because they are important. Family, God, devotion to God, all of those kind of things important work more important than 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 the little things but the, the problem is so often we put those things in and then we realize oops the most important one the biggest one it's no longer space uh, uh, a god you'll understand <laughs> my life is so full i, I cannot come to church a uh, god you'll understand I'm, I'm so busy i mean i live in the city god i travel so long to work and so on and they they expect their pound of flesh You'll understand, I just don't have time for small group. God, <laughs> you know, I mean, you understand, it's just, I, I don't have time to spend time with you and, and read my Bible. And Sorry, it's just, my life is too full. Don't we do that? <laughs> but the mistake is not that... Um, our lives are too busy. The mistake is that our priorities are wrong. The mistake is that we resolve, we don't resolve to do the right things or to put first things first. That is our challenge and our problem. And what God wants us to do is to first put the big things into our lives. So get the little things out. Let it fall away. Okay. Like we sang. And then say, God, you are the mo- if you are the most important thing in my life, then you must go in first. Not last, but first. And then, then I can put, put the other big things in, the other major commitments. I can resolve to do these things and to make room for these things in my life. And then, once I've found space in my life and made space in my life and resolved to do all these things, then I can see how much space I have, Leanne, you can come and help again, to fit in, <laughs> to fit in the smaller things. And I might not be able to fit in all the smaller things, but I'll be able to fit in some of them. And see, now I've fitted, I've, uh, all the, the rocks, the big rocks, have, have already have a space in my life. The important things are already there. The less important things sort of fit in between them. And then, often you find that you have more space than you think. Even though your life looks full, you often have even more space and you can put in even more. And, and the, the only trick is, and it's a very simple, it's, a, it's almost a childlike trick, is to put in the most important things first. 
And when you put in the most important things first, you will have room in your life for a lot of other things, more than you think. Thanks, thanks Leanne. And, and, and it's really as simple as that. It's, it's, it's as simple as saying, God, you go in first. I'm going to make room for you. Okay, just put it on the ground there. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, Tim. I'm going to make room for you. You see, so often we say, God, if I have time, I'll pray. If I have time, I'll come to church. If I have time in my busy schedule, I'll go to, I'll go to small group. That's not what Daniel did. So when, we, when I'm talking about resolving, I'm, 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 I'm saying, like Daniel, we need to resolve to put first things first. To make space for them. Put them in first and then fit the other things in around them. And Daniel got that right. And another guy who got that right is a guy called Jonathan Edwards. Um, he was in the 1700s somewhere in America. And he literally wrote a whole bunch, dozens of resolutions. And he said, resolved to live all of the rest of my life for the glory of God. Resolved. And he, and he, and he made those resolutions. And, and he, the amazing thing is he made them as a teenager, just like Daniel. And he died relatively young. I think he was... 40 or 50 years old when he passed away, you know, from a um, smallpox vaccine, unfortunately. But in that time, God used him to spark the great awakening in America. Uh, he preached that famous ser sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And, you know, he spent often hours, you know, walking through the woods, just praying, meditating on Scripture and spending time with God. And and God used him to launch this great awakening um, where hundreds of thousands, even millions of people got saved. He, he, would, he would preach and people would literally fall off their chairs during the service and repent. And, and one of the reasons was because he resolved to put God first and to put the most important things first. And we can all do that and we should all do that. So we should learn but we should also resolve. And then the third thing, and I'm going to make this one a little bit shorter, is we learn and resolve in order to serve. You see, our posture, we don't learn and resolve in, in order just to benefit ourselves. We should learn and resolve in order to benefit others. And obviously we should first serve God, but we should also serve other people, just like Daniel and them did. They served the king. In other words, our posture, and in, in other words, it's, it's not just self-actualization, or self-growth for the sake of being a better you so that you can have a better life. It's self, it's growth so that the people around you can benefit, so that you can serve them better, so that you can serve the city better, and so that you can serve God better. Because the only thing that you have to serve with is yourself. And as you learn more, and as you resolve to focus on the right things, you're going to be able to serve better. And you're going to have a wonderful, positive, powerful impact on the city around you. Um, you might look at Daniel's life, though, and some of you have probably read the book of Daniel. It's a very interesting book. And you'll say, you know, in the book of Daniel... And throughout the rest of the Bible, I don't see anyone saying anything negative about Daniel. 
it's interesting. He, you know, he, he's probably the only Old Testament character of whom there is nothing negative said. I mean, there were great heroes in the Old Testament. I mean, think Moses, think Joseph, think King David. Really, you know, great people. You know, think of, of Deborah. You know, think of Esther. You know, amazing people. But all of them, the Bible mentions something negative about them, but Daniel not. And you might say, oh, but any, you know, do I need to, you know, Daniel seems so perfect. Do I need to be perfect like Daniel, you know, <laughs> in order to be faithful in the city and to be a blessing to the city? And the good news is no. Number one, Daniel wasn't perfect. Even though nothing negative is mentioned about him, the Bible does say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that includes Daniel. But he does point to one who is perfect, and that's Jesus, who also, like Daniel, was taken out of the city of God, but in heaven, and brought to the city of earth, not to Babylon, but to, to earth, entered our world, learned our language, resolved to be faithful to his father, and lived to serve those who often hated and oppressed him. Jesus. And just like Daniel, we don't have to be perfect if we look to the one who is perfect. And who set the perfect example for us. You see, here's the thing. Let me put it this way. If you look... You know, I always look at, once I've read a story, once I've read a passage, I want to know not just what does this passage command me to do. I also want to see that, okay, what, what this passage is commanding is kind of difficult to do. And, I, you know, I need to realize I can't do it in my own strength. But what is the grace that the passage gives us in order to be able to obey God in this way? What is the grace in this passage? I see two things that God gave Daniel and his friends. Well, that God gave Daniel. We're looking at Daniel. Number one is favor. It explicitly says that God caused Daniel to have favor. Favor is God's grace, God's unmerited, supernatural, positive influence in your life. God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. And Daniel wasn't perfect. In fact, Daniel was part of Israel who were under captivity as punishment for the imperfection and the sin. And that, that just shows you that even when God is disciplining you, He can have favor on you. Just like, you know, with my, my children, you know, even when I'm disciplining them, I still have favor on them. I still like them. I still love them. And I even discipline them for their benefit. But God gave him favor and God gave him friends. Those are the two aspects of grace that God gave Daniel and that God wants to give you in the midst of the city that does not accept God that does not walk in the ways of God you can be faithful because God wants to give you his favor his supernatural positive influence in your life and he wants to give you friends who are also trying to be faithful to God in the midst of a city that isn't who are also trying to live a God-centered life in a self-centered world and that's what small group is all about. That's what youth is all about. That's what church is all about. It's about ha walking with. You don't have to walk alone. Don't try and live the Christian life alone. But, but notice here that everything that Daniel does is better because it's God-centered. 
When he learns, it says he learned the language and the literature of Babylon. He was trained by the king's official for three years. Okay? But sort of towards the end, in verse 17, it says, These four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And then in verse 20, it says, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, these four friends, he found them ten times better, not than all the trainees who had come into the training program with them, but ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. In other words, they, did, they learned from the city, but they didn't just learn from the city. They learned from God. And the learning God gave, they acquired it more quickly. So they were only learning for three years. And there were people who were working as wise men and enchanters and stuff for 30 years. And Daniel and his friends were wiser than them. Not only did they learn quicker, but the quality of what they learned was better. Here's a trick I want to give you. Um, maybe you can just bring up um, Daniel 6. Um, just bring up Daniel 6 there. I, I just put verse 3 in the, um, in the ESV because it's a more literal translation. It says, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And this, the at this the administrators and satraps tried to find grounds for a charge against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. They couldn't find anything against him. And then in the next verse, they say, finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And then in verse 10, it says, three times a day, he, Daniel, got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Just a few things I want you to see there. Daniel had favor. And one of the reasons he had favor with God is because he asked God for favor. You have not because you ask not. God wants to give his favor to us, but he wants us to ask for it. He wants us to pray like Daniel. And, but just think about it. If you could learn, because clearly what Daniel learned was faithfulness, trustworthiness, character, not to be corrupt. If you can learn like Daniel, I mean, just imagine you're in a place where people don't like you because you're so successful and you have so much favor, but the only thing they can have against you is that you serve God and that you pray too much. Imagine that's the only accusation people can bring against you. And, and to be fair, they will bring that accusation against you. They will. They will accuse you of serving God. They will accuse you of praying too much. But that's an accusation we're going to have to accept and live with. And, and, and I think all of us can live with it. But Daniel had favor. And one of the reasons was he asked for favor. And another reason was why he could learn so well and why I could resolve so well is because he had an excellent spirit. And guess who that excellent spirit was? The Holy Spirit. 
and where the Holy Spirit was only poured out on some under the old covenant, like in Daniel's time, he's poured out on all Christians under the new covenant. You have access through Jesus in the new covenant to that same excellent spirit that Daniel had and that caused him to for 66 years serve an empire and change it for the better. You have access to that same Holy Spirit. That same excellent Holy Spirit lives inside of you and can help you to learn like Daniel learned. Not just from the city, but from God. To resolve to be faithful to God in a city that is not. And can help you to serve well in the city. God wants to give you the same favor he gave Daniel and the same kind of friends that he gave Daniel so that you can serve him in that way in this city where he has placed you. Isn't that encouraging? Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.